good to see you all. You know why? Because Jesus is alive and we're not condemned through faith in him. Amen? It's a good day. Well, as you know, I always like to encourage you guys to read the word of God in light of today's message. Read Lamentations. I know, it sounds like a sad word. kind of is, but it's actually a good one. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23, in light of today's message. Chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. I also encourage you guys to be in prayer, constantly praying wherever, whoever you can with, because prayer is a life source for us as we go about this world. And then lastly, the other thing I like to encourage you guys to do is, you know, I read this quote the other day. It said, we talk about the second coming, but half the world didn't, doesn't hear or know about the first. Uh, I thought that was great. So church, you know, I always encourage you to evangelize, to talk to people somehow, some means. Well, we're going to collectively, as a church again, go through a study that stated your hope story. You can see it in your bulletin. You're going to flip it around on the other side. Uh, it's going to begin March 18th, and it's going to be, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to meet in the fellowship hall, all of us together, men and women, young adults, and then after we watch the video, do a quick discussion, then we'll split up into our smaller groups. But this is a church-wide thing to encourage you all to be ready to talk about Christ or write about Christ, text somebody, email someone, write a letter to someone about Jesus, okay? We're going to do this together, and there's a sign-up sheet right outside um, on the foyer, you'll see on the little, um, on the little uh, table that we have out there for, for you guys to put your name so we know how many books we're, we're called to order. But this is for the whole church, the whole church. We're doing this together, and it's just a few-week course, and then they said, go get it, right? Okay, uh, and by the way, one other thing I think it needs to be mentioned. When we talk about sharing Jesus, or when I talk about sharing Jesus, I'm not just talking about re- a lot of times we think about reaching the younger generation. Amen. We need to reach the younger generation. But we also need to reach the older generation too. They need Jesus. Just because someone's older doesn't mean that they don't need Jesus. Right? People closer to whatever age you are need Jesus, not just the people who are younger in age. You know, it was funny. Uh, we heard uh, in the men's prayer group, uh, Gary brought up a great, great he, just last year, he said he spoke to his dad about Jesus. He said, Dad, when you die, where are you going? And he, and he said, well, I'm going to go to heaven. He says, why? Well, because I've been a good guy. And guess what? Gary came in and said, no, 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 being good doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus. And he accepted Christ. Any age will accept Christ. So don't just think younger person. Think persons. Don't just I know we like to focus on younger and amen, but we all, older too, older too, people need Jesus, okay? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for being who you are. God, you are so good beyond what's even our definition of good. You just bless and bless and give and give. Be with us now as we come to your word, convict us of our sin. God, we're good at justifying our sin. We're good lawyers. Help us, Lord, to be convicted, to understand where, what we need to repent from. Reveal those sins in our life that we hold so dear. Show those idols that we're starting to build so that we can flee to the cross and know that we have already been forgiven. Thank you, Lord, for the wonders of your mercy and love. 
Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today, our passage is going to be 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. It is our final section and the end of our book. It's going to be a last sermon of Thessalonians. So, let's get into our text and see how Paul closes his thoughts and how he highlights the gospel of the grace of God. Because really, that's what Christianity is all about. How God loves undeserving sinners. Okay, so today's title is Comforting Truths of Grace. So, Paul opens up in a prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses, verse 23. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul prays about here is sanctification, but how he prays about it is really the fascinating and really the radical thing, what we just read. And real quick, if you're not familiar with this term, sanctification, what it means, rather than you Googling it, I'll tell you, okay? It's basically the process of growing and maturing in holiness. It's this aspect of being set apart from the evil world, set apart from the sin in our life by being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And you hear this in your everyday life comments amongst other Christians or here. Uh, you hear it like uh, a Christian should not be doing this or that. Um, you have another where what should a Christian be doing in this or that situation? How should a Christian think of this issue or that particular issue? How should a Christian relate or respond to such and such and so on and so on? If you ever thought or heard about such things on how Christians should be living or wondered what they should be doing and so on, basically that is sanctification. It's that process of changing in relation to the world and in relation to life itself now. And one person put it this way. He said this in regards to sanctification. A sanctified person bears not only God's name, but his image. That's what sanctification is, reflecting his image, right? So in a nutshell, Paul is basically praying for a continual change of life amongst these Thessalonians. And we don't need to go back through the whole book again to see what those changes he was encouraging and commanding and exhorting them uh, to live in ways that follow after God. But quickly, uh, just to give you examples, he expressed areas where they need to change and being lazy in their serving, investing in the church, being idle. Uh, how they need not to rebel against their leaders when things are getting pointed out and telling them to stop being sexually promiscuous and how they need to rejoice always, and so on and so on. And in fact, later on, which we'll cover, he'll give, in his very closing, he'll give more ex uh, exhortations to grow in sanctification and holiness. But for now, we're looking at this prayer in regards to all of these commands and exhortations between them and God. And the main point, the main point that needs to be seen is that the power to live out all these laws, if you will, according to Paul, is not found in us. The power to live out these great changes in the Thessalonians' lives, as with, as with us, according to Paul, is not based in us at all. But the source of the power 
come from God alone. See, Paul says at the first part of Thessalonians, of verse 23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And just to make sure we're clear to understand how we have no part in this sanctification process of holiness, notice Paul does not say, May God sanctify you mostly, partly, for the most part, but completely. This makes God himself the full author and the enforcer of any changes that happen within us. God is the one who brings about change in our life. He is the one who sanctifies us through and through. And when God says here, by the way, the God of peace, when, uh, that may, God, may the God of peace do this, what he's getting at is God is the one who makes true peace between the world and himself. Right? And he wants peace. He alone is the one that went out of his way to restore peace between mankind and himself. And he made it through his son, Jesus Christ, as Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, since now by faith in Christ, we we have peace with God, meaning God is not hostile to us in any way at all, just as Romans 8.1 says. It says, therefore, now no condemnation, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, so none at all. Paul prays that God will have the peace that we have with him, this peace that, that's there. Paul prays that it will be reflected in our lives and how we live before him. So we will live as people who have peace with God. So this concept of holiness or holy lives, living as holy, as holy people, is actually summed up as being at peace with God. So the more we conform to his ways we reflect the peace that we have with him. Because remember, any sin is really rebellion against God. And Paul is praying that God will work our sin out of us, work our rebellious ways out of us, so we can conform to his ways. Another way is looking at it or putting it is this way. God, he's praying, God will change them, change you, me, to living and having him lord over your whole life so that you can live obediently and before him, which is living at peace. Living according to his ways, his laws, his approach to life. Paul prays for God to sanctify them completely to live out that peace in, our, in their relationships with their kids, with their job, with the person sitting next to them. Well, just how completely then is complete? Well, Paul then approaches this idea of sanctification from God at a different direction. And to answer that question, he gives another prayer of this request by at the end of verse 23 by saying this. 
And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prays that this complete sanctification process that God does alone, that he also will keep them completely blameless so that when judgment day comes, there will be no fault found in any of them at all. So what this means is that Paul is praying that God will work upon all of them to be sanctified before him so that there will be absolutely no faults. So what that means then is completely what Paul is getting when he says mind, body, when he's talking about the, the, the soul, your spirit, and body, he says that your mind will be found without fault, your heart, your will, your emotions, your intellect, your actions, your words, physical body, yes, even your physical body needs to be sanctified before God to find no fault before him. It's not just the, Im- will, it's not just the immaterial part of you that needs to be changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20 says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Not just your mind, not just your will, not just your heart, but your body. So everything means everything that makes you. God is asking God to keep them completely blameless, including their bodies. Whatever makes you you, Paul is praying, or praying for them, will be brought in conformity to his holiness, his expectations, so that when they, or for example, when you die and stand before God on judgment day, and the books are open to look upon your life, all that you did, all that you said, all that you felt emotionally, everything you touched physically, everything that you looked at, everything that you, that you were involved with, everything on everything is just opened up and you're just naked before God. And whatever makes up you, when it comes to when you come to the throne and you're faced with the judgment seat of Christ, when Matthew, for example, when it says, when Matthew chapter 25, verse 32 to 33 plays out, where it says, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep to his right, but the goats on his left. On that day, Paul is praying that they will be without blame before the Lord. That is what Paul is praying for these Thessalonians, that God will sanctify them completely and keep them blameless until that day that Christ returns to judge the world. So let's look at it this way. Even with all their sins and failures that Paul has already pointed out in the letter, Paul's prayer that God will take care of everything for them. He's praying that God will keep them saved, keep, make them change, and make sure that they get to heaven. That's what Paul is praying for. Now, that's a nice prayer, right? 
it's comforting to think about that. But it seems almost too good to be true. That the holy, righteous God, the almighty creator, the, who is the alpha and the omega, will take care of everything for us. I mean, these people, they have sins. We have sins. Things that we don't want to talk about, let alone admit to one another. Things that you might not even told your spouse. Does God really do everything for us to be in right relation to him and keep us blameless before him? Surely we got to do something on our end to make up for that wrong. I mean, that's what Paul is saying wishes in the sense, right? He's asking God to do this. I mean, he does open this verse with, now may God do this. So by saying may, it seems like God is hoping that God will do this for sinners. Do everything. Well, here's the thing. The gospel is good news. And so all that Paul has prayed for is what actually God does for you and me. Truly, God does everything for us. And the cross proves it. For it says in John 19, 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And it is finished for us through faith in Christ alone. And this is why, in all confidence, Paul can say in chapter 5, verse 24, he who called you is faithful. He will surely Paul says that once God has brought you into his family, he is faithful to keep you there. He will keep his promise in saving you until the end. He will never let you go, no matter how much you fail him at all. Think about that verse. Do you see how freeing that is? That's what you get to wake up to every day, no matter what happened yesterday. No matter what happened last night, no matter what happened when that person called you a week ago and it's still bothering you on the inside, no matter how much you blew up, no matter how much you doubted or got angry, that's what you get to wake up to every day. And think about it. Do you see how burden-breaking that is? Because you don't have to worry then about tomorrow about your biggest sin that may be coming down the line because you don't know how strong you are. And you know things are going to happen, but you're praying, oh God, please don't let it happen. How burden-breaking it is to know that all is going to end okay for you because your end is with him, because God will do everything for you and make sure it happens. What you have here is the wonder of the gospel. Christ not only brings you in, he keeps you in. I'm going to say this in a different approach so that we all could understand this. You cannot mess up the salvation that you have in Christ. You cannot mess up the sanctification you have in Christ. And you cannot mess up your destination that you have with Christ. God is the saver. God is the restorer. 
God is the changer. God is the assurance. God is the completer. God is the one who does everything for you and me, and all we do is receive it by grace through faith alone in Jesus. The gospel is good news for sinners. So this whole Christian thing is not dependent upon you and me, but solely dependent upon God, and he will make it work out for all of us by faith in his son alone, for it's finished in him. And this is the truth of, and this truth that we're, that we're talking about, of God being the one who does it all, is found all over Scripture. He does it all because he is faithful. That's his characteristic. That's a description of who our God is. He is faithful. Just like God is love, God is holy, God is faithful. He is faithful to us when we, when we are not faithful to him. And this is why gospel is such good news. And I want you to listen to the word of God then, how he is faithful to do everything for us to be right with him. So you see, it's not a John opinion. It's not some blog opinion. This is the truth of the very word you hold in your hand. I'm going to read, okay, Ezekiel 34, 11 through 27. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I, twice there, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of cloud, clouds and thickness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all that's inhibited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. On the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and no rich pasture shall they feed on the mountains of Israel. I will be the shepherd of my sheep. I, may, uh, I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Who's doing it? All God. Jeremiah 31 through 33 through 34. But this is the covenant that I will, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Uh, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Ezekiel 36, 21 through 36. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Who's doing it? You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. 
I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. It was all sanctification, brothers and sisters. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and increase of the fruit of the field abundant, that you may never suffer again the disgrace and famine among the nations. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Philippians 1, chapter, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to, give them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch, snatch them out of my Father's hand. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains This gospel is good news. See, the wonderful joy of the gospel is the grace of God is just enough. Salvation beginning to end is all dependent upon God's grace and mercy. Amen. I'm a big sinner. See, what God demands, he provides. And he provided it all through faith in Jesus. That's it. That's the only thing that's required. It's just trust in Jesus. You don't even have to have big faith. You can have a tiny faith. You can have this weak, feeble, hanging on a string faith. It's like, oh, Jesus. That's it. That's it. You don't need a Herculean faith to move mountains. It's great. But that's not what's required. It's just, faith is just looking, saying, God. Faith is not, see, it's not, it's not about how good you are. You're drowning in the sea of sin. Faith is not a, a lie. Faith is not this aspect of you saying, well, just paddle harder. Faith is that lifeboat that literally reaches in and pulls you out. You say, God, go. He says, I got you. And you would think, right, with all of that, that if God does everything then for us by all by grace, meaning that God just gives unmerited favor and blessing towards us, irrelevant of our behavior, because then it wouldn't be grace. That then that would just lead us to be a bunch of do-nothings and stay in our sins. You would think that's what would happen. But that's not how it works. The grace of God does, does the exact opposite in our life. As a consequence, the grace of God is what empowers us to be even all the more diligent to want to live for God. Because we know it's not dependent upon us anymore. But it's fully dependent upon him and him alone. That's what motivates us to live a life to, the, to live life to the fullest for him. Because we don't have to worry about failing anymore. 
but you don't have to be held back. Like, oh, how much if I mess up? Okay, just keep going. Because if you fail, he's not going to hold it against you. One person said, put it like this. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Because you're just going to know it's going to be okay. Just go. Just go. Just love. Just serve. Just invest. If I fall, so what? Go. You know, when my, when my son and daughter and my third son, who will eventually walk here, when they're walking and they trip, I don't say, loser, get out of here. You're no longer my son or daughter. I can't believe you. When they trip, I pick them up. In fact, sometimes I just lay there with them and be like, oh, it's okay. I'm here. It's, we're going to make it. It's going to be fine. Let's go. That's what God, that, that's who God, he's your father. He's your father. He's not some tyrant up there just beating a stick, being like, get over here. What's wrong with you? That's not not who God is with his children. Amen. We no longer have to worry about working to get God's favor, to get God's love, to get his blessings. And rather right now, we just get to live from the favor, from the love, from the blessings we already have. Because God's on your side, or more specifically, you're on his. So in gratitude of what has been done for us, we are to look to God to help us live according to his ways in all things with our minds, our hearts, our wills, our actions, our deeds, our bodies to reveal the peace we have in him. Which is why then Paul can say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, brothers pray for us. For even though Paul knew such wondrous truth, he needed the very same prayers for him. He too was a sinner in need of grace. And I don't know how it works, but God then graciously also answers the prayers of people for other people. Not only does he just give and give, but he also listens. According to his gracious will, he graciously gives what we ask. And that's mind-blowing. That God bends his ear to our request, to our petitions. And being that he's so gracious, he just gives more than we can ever ask for. Or even realize. But the point here is that since God is so gracious, that should motivate, motivate us then to pray for each other, to live according to God's word, and to declare his message to all. And really, I hope that motivates you, for example, to pray for me, to deliver his word thoroughly and truthfully, to feed you by his grace alone, to make much of his grace and not make much of you or me. For I too am a sinner, and I'm in need of grace every day. When it and even as I come to his word, I need you to, I need you to pray to, for me to come to it in God's power, to declare it in God's power. And I'm praying that you are praying for your pastor. If you don't know what to pray about, pray for me. And everyone asks, well, what do you want to pray for? Well, I don't know. I'll, I'll pray for my pastor. Pray for me. To be overwhelmed with his grace, just as I pray for you to be overwhelmed. We all need prayer, no matter what position you have in church or the position you have in life. We need to pray the grace of God be the life source of all of our, of us in all things. Then Paul says in verse 26, greet the brothers, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. And this is interesting. But notice Paul says, greet all the brothers, not just some. Because in principle then, he's saying to all of us, God wants you to be friendly with all the people in church. 
Even those people who rub you the wrong way or who are annoying, who you don't want to deal with, maybe who you don't know, they're strangers. God wants you to be friendly with all of them, warm with all of them. And being friendly then is not something we're called to ignore. Because when Paul says the holy kiss, it's more than just a normal greeting. Because kissing at that time was a normal, was a normal, it was like a peck on the cheek. It, it was a normal greeting back in the day. But to say the holy kiss, it's one of warm, friendly, and joyful affection for a brother or sister in Christ. It's a welcome greeting for believers as part of God's eternal family. So for us, though, a kiss would be weird. Don't kiss me. Okay? But the principle... The principle is that whatever greeting you do, don't kiss me, but whatever greeting you do, it's to be done with a warm smile and not a cold shoulder. So yes, even what you do amongst each other before and after church matters. It's to be in line with a joyful welcome of love for even those who are hard to love. We are to love of them nonetheless because they're our family in Christ. These people will be using their prayers and prayer requests. I can't forget that. Paul then says, chapter 5, verse 27, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read before all the brothers. Paul here uses then his authority to say that everyone must hear the word of God. All Christians are to pay attention to what God has stated and not ignore it. And real quick, that word read means read in public worship. So the sermon is based on God's word and not an opinion or personal topics because as Jesus says in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So God sanctifies us and grows us then by these ordinary, plain means of his word through declaring it, through reading it, which is why I and other godly preachers preach from it and why this church encourages you to read it because faith grows through our hearing of the word, just as Romans 10, 17 says. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. His word is the highlight then of the church and why we gather on Sunday mornings to worship him, to know him. But again, all this is not to be done in our own power. The praying, the greeting, the hearing, it's all to be fueled by the grace of God. For without his grace motivating us, sustaining us, we have nothing. So Paul again returns and ends with grace in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 28. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In summary then, growing and maturing in the Christian faith is not about becoming bigger but smaller. It's not about becoming stronger but weaker so that we can grow in becoming more fully dependent upon the sanctifying work of God and his blessings of grace to us by faith in Christ. 